Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Splendid. Okay, so we're going to dive straight in. We're in the book of Colossians. Say yay. Say we love Colossians. In fact, we love it so much, Pastor Jamie. We'd like you to preach for three and a half hours on the first two verses of chapter three. You and me, Emily, you and me. Okay, right, okay, Colossians 1. Verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. It's a great start. You could be excited about that. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, you know what? I love Colossians chapter 3. Once upon a time, I learned it off by heart. And you know what? It's just so full of truth. It's so full of practical wisdom. I've only read you half there as a kind of tempter teaser. You know, for me, this is what I would call a real desert island disc passage. You know what I mean? If you're allowed to take three pages of the Bible with you, this would be one of mine, I think. Romans 8. Definitely will be up there. So if you read this particular passage in different translations, it gives you different headings. The New Living Translation says, living the new life. The ESV says, put on the new self. And the New King James says, not carnality, but Christ. And what we see here as we read this chapter is, is there is a stark contrast between the old life and the new. A stark contrast between, between before Christ and in Christ. Between earthly and heavenly. Between carnal and spiritual. Paul is saying here, with the backdrop of chapters 1 and 2, now I've reminded you who Christ is and what he did challenge becomes, what does this mean for you and for your life? And then Colossians 3 describes what needs to change as you mature. Uh, the pastor Jack Hayford and uh, his commentary said, in chapters 1 and 2, our new identity is revealed. In chapters 3 and 4, we learn how to live consistent with that new identity. William Barclay said, after the theology, that's chapters 1 and 2, 
Now comes the ethical demand. And as I read chapter 3, what, what jumps out to me straight away is a list of strong imperatives. In other words, in response to all of this, in response to the marvel and wonder of the deity of Christ and the gospel in chapters 1 and 2, this is therefore now what we must do in response to that. And here are the seven imperatives that jump off the page to me. The first one is verse 1 and 2. Set your heart and set your mind on things above. Imperative number two in verse five there is, is put to death, therefore. Similarly, number three is rid yourself. And imperative number four is put on the new self. Number five is clothe yourselves. A list of wonderful things we're to clothe ourselves with in verse 12. And then verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts. And number seven, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the message is that is what the new life looks like. That is what it means to be heavenly rather than earthly. That, that's what it means to be spiritual, not carnal. Paul is saying that, that if you would act on these imperatives, then your lives and your decisions and your outcomes will be very different. If you will live like that, you will experience the peace and joy that you will otherwise find elusive. And if the Lord's purpose is, is to conform you in the image of Christ, then this is what Christ-likeness looks like and what it does. You know, several times in his letters, Paul contrasted carnality and spirituality. A parallel passage, Romans 8 verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, familiar expression, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Two words there, the words carnal and the word spiritual. The word carnal in the Greek is sarkikos, and that means that the kind of fleshly, impulsive, selfish, old human nature. It's the bits deep inside you that have not yet been transformed or renewed by the Lord. And that means that there are still bits in you that are, that are still living probably under the control and, and under the dominion of your impulses. And therefore, those parts are prone to sin. They're resistant and even at times opposed to God. And that's contrasted with, with spiritual Pneumaticos. Spiritual is filled and molded and governed by the Spirit of God. It means aligned with and submitted to and renewed by the Word of God. And hence it means mature and godly and Christ-like. 
In other words, spiritual. And frankly, in Colossians chapter 3, the description of carnal is rather ugly. Verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8, But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. No wonder Paul says, put it to death. Get rid of it. Take it off. Now the reality is when we, when we first receive Christ, there is still much to be done. If we're honest, there's probably even now still much to be done. Much to be redeemed. Much to be renewed. There's much to be transformed in us. There's much to be pruned away and just as much to be engrafted in. God, that is the journey of transformation, metamorphosis that we are all on. From Sarkikos, from carnal, from the old self that we need to, to take off to pneumaticos, spiritual, the new self that we need to put on in its place. And the good news is this, this chapter doesn't just contrast carnal and spiritual, but it actually teaches us how to mature, how to go, how to grow from carnal into spiritual. And that takes us back to those, those seven imperatives that I listed a few minutes ago. We're going to get started on those this week, and then I suspect we'll continue, maybe finish them next week. So number one, imperative number one is set your mind on things above. I'll read the text again. This is the NIV. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is a really simple and yet powerful principle, isn't it? You're going to have to set your heart and minds on things above rather than things below. And if you want to mature from carnality to spiritual maturity, if you, want to, if you want to live as an overcomer, if you want to experience that peace and joy, if you are determined to bear kingdom fruit, you will have to learn to set your heart and set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Let's define a few terms for a minute. Set your mind. The Greek word is zeteo. And it means to seek for. It means to seek after. It means to aim at. It means to crave. And the implication is that you do that by, by meditating and by inquiring and by studying. In other words, get those things in view and keep them there. And that implies a determination. It implies an intentionality and a constancy. 
New American Standard says, keep seeking the things above. The Amplified says, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above. And of course, there will be countless distractions and countless temptations attempting to pull our thoughts off the holy and onto the worldly. Paul also says, he says, set your mind. He also says, set your heart. But the old King James said, set your affections on things above. And of course, we understand that, that, that when it's talking about the heart, it's talking about the seat of your affection and your emotion and your passion. And that, for me, leads to pivotal challenge questions like this. What is it that gets your affection? What is it that gets your attention? What are your, your roots, your core motivations? Where do you direct your passions? And Paul says it set your mind Set your heart on things above, not things below. Now, I'm going to tell you an, an illustration. It's a little bit trite, but, but I think you'll get it. And I might refer back to it a couple of times, and, and it's at my expense. When I lived, when we lived in the mighty metropolis of Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, at the time, there was a chain of big stores called Future Shop. Future Shop. Okay. And Future Shop was full of giant TVs and the, the latest computers and, and kind of audio technology and the latest mobile phones and gadgets and all those kind of things. I loved Future Shop. I loved it. Now, one of the other things in Canada, you got the local paper. And in the local paper were stuffed all the little flyers and brochures that were there to try to draw you to their big shops there in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. And, of course, every week there was a lovely Future Shop brochure. You know, and I just loved sitting, looking at this brochure, just looking through it. You know, I, do you know what? We ha I love a 40-inch TV, don't you? You know the only thing that's better than a 40-inch TV? A 60-inch TV, <laughs> right. And, and do you know what? <laughs> I kind of laugh. But after a little while of, of kind of drooling, probably, over the future shop, it's, it's, it might be a man thing. It might even be a Jamie thing, I don't know. I just felt the Lord say to me, Jamie, where are you directing your affections and passions here? The more you spend your time looking at that, the more you will start to, what's the word, covet. The more you'll start to look at, I mean, we had a 36-inch TV, and it was, it was like a massive great thing. You know, we almost killed someone taking it down the stairs when we moved. You know, you didn't need a mantelpiece centerpiece in this house. The 36-inch TV was was absolutely enormous. Yeah, but the reality is I didn't need the 60-inch TV. They didn't even have flat screens in those days. But the point I'm trying to make in all that is, you know, where, where was I directing my, 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 my affections, my passions, my attention? I felt God say, stop looking at that and start setting your mind on things above. It was significant for me at the time. And of course, why is this important? It's this, because what you fixate on what you meditate on 
what you allow to grip and dominate your thoughts has the potential to make or break your attitude and your mood. It has the ability to frame your decisions and ultimately set your direction. Joyce Meyer says, where the mind goes, the man follows. And I'm assuming that means the woman as well, incidentally. Proverbs 23, verse 7, King James says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And here's the point. Whatever or whoever has hold of your mind has hold over you. Which is why the scripture says things like this. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why scripture says, Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And of course, Romans 12, verse 2, New Living Translation, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Here's the point. If, if Satan, the enemy, can infiltrate and distort your thinking, he can mess with your life. And worse than that, if he can dominate your thinking, he can start to manipulate your life. And if he can pollute your thinking, he can defile your heart. But the flip to that is if God's word can dominate your thinking, God can be the decisive factor in your life. And if God can, can sanctify your thinking, then he can purify your heart. And if God can renew your thinking, Romans 12 verse 2, he can revitalize your life. He can restore your relationships and he can guide and influence your decisions. Coming back to Colossians 3 verse 1, the key is to set your heart and to set your mind on things above, not on things below. Okay, so the next question I think is, is what qualifies as things above and what qualifies as things below? As ever, there's much we could say. I'm going to offer a list. There's 10 things in it. You might have others that you'd like to add. But here is my list of things above. Number one, the first thing you need to set your mind on is your relationship with the Lord. And here's the point. How strongly does that dominate your thinking minute by minute, hour by hour? How frequently does that invade your thinking? How prominent a priority is your, is your fellowship with your Father? Number one, your relationship with the Lord. Number two, I'll go through these quickly. Number two is, is the character of God. You know, for me, we should always be looking for, for elements of the character of God in others that you can, that you can commend and that you can catch. Always asking the Lord, what, what do I need to, to grow in? What do I need to, to imitate? 
a personal example. Here's one for me. The one that the Lord keeps tugging me on the shirt sleeves and touching, tapping me on the shoulder is about gentleness. Now, if you know me, I'm not a violent guy. I wasn't a crash-tacking rugby player. I could got rid of the ball as quick as I possibly could. But you know what? Sometimes in my passion and sometimes in my enthusiasm, my family will testify to this, there is a risk that people get crushed in the wake. Just enthusiasm, excitement. To which the Lord keeps coming back to me and saying, Jamie, gentle, gentle. A repeated word to myself. Number two. Number three is we need to set our minds on obvious one thing, the teachings of Jesus. And of course, things above are often contrary and reversed and upside down when compared to things below. We need to make sure that we keep the teachings of Jesus up front and center so we have our thinking the right way up. Number four, things above. Number four is love and grace. You're in this age of outrage. Let's keep learning the ways of grace. One of the ways you do that is just stop feeding outrage. Number five, things above, is your new identity in Christ. Do you know who you are? Do you know what he's done? And do you know what you have? And then the questions become, is that what defines you? Is the, that the rock that you stand on? How much time do you spend meditating on that, which is very much a thing above? And how much time do you find yourself getting tugged in the opposite direction, listening to those enemy lies and meditating and fantasizing around the reverse of things below? Number six on my list rattling through is the promises of God. When it comes to thinking of things above, fix your heart, fix your mind on on the promises of God. It is the question, which, which in your thought life is making more noise? Is it your circumstances? Or is it God's promises? On which is your mind set? What dominates your thoughts? Which for you is the stronger reality? Remember that little verse in Joshua 1, Joshua 1 verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Number seven on my list is, is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's so much out there that is purporting to be wisdom. Anyone else notice that? Do you know which voice is which? Are you sure you are listening to the right one? Number eight, things above is kingdom purposes. It is the main thing, the main thing. Do you get tempted to major in the minors? What is, what is your calling? What are the things that are distracting you from that? 
calling? Are you living with purpose, on purpose? By that I mean kingdom purpose. Number nine, nearly there. Number nine is, is the unity of the Spirit. You know, this should be a lens through which our behavior is filtered because there are many temptations, carnal temptations to oppose and to contest unity. You know, maintaining the, the, the spirit of unity with Christian brothers and sisters and within the church is given a very strong priority in Scripture. Anything that stirs this unity is given very short thrift. And number 10, the last one on my list of things above is, is, is serving faithfully. You know, the Bible calls it working diligently as unto the Lord. This may well mean your day job. And your attitude towards that will be determined by whether you see that as a thing above or a thing below. And I'd say this, if God has given it to you, if God has called you to it, surely it then qualifies as a thing above and should be treated as such. Okay, deep breath, relax, end of list. I wonder, how would, how would your life change if you looked at everything through those lenses and those lenses alone? If that list of 10 things was where you set your mind and your thoughts and your heart and your affections. What Paul is saying here is that is do that and your life will head in a very different direction. Do that and you will leave carnality and immaturity and folly far behind. Do that and you will open the door to, to security and stability, to peace and joy. Open the door to faith hope, and love. Okay, things above. Quick flip, really quickly. Um, what would qualify perhaps as things below? Again, it could be a long list. Really, really quickly. Number one, coveting what others possess. Number two, the, the pursuit of material things. Number three is pride and personal promotion. Number four, comparing yourself with everyone else. Number five, political manipulation and point scoring. Number six, disrespect for and rebelling against delegated authority. Number seven is outrage and opinionation. Number eight is gossip. Number nine is lust and sexual temptation. And the number 10 I've called fearful and anxious downward spirals. And I suspect you can think of more things that belong on that list. But again, what happens if you let your mind go to those places regularly? Anything on that list giving a shaft of light to the enemy? Anything leaving the door slightly ajar? No wonder Paul said, set your mind said, set your heart and make sure it's on things above.
Okay, that last, last piece here is, is how do you set? It is a question for you. Does, does anyone else's mind, like mine, have a habit of wandering down rabbit holes into dark places, playing out bleak fantasy scenarios in their imagination? And after all that, feeling depressed and wondering how on earth did I get there? And if you add to that all the worldly influences out there that are trying to drag your mind into unhelpful places, future shop flyers, marketing pushing products, the avalanche, avalanche of soft porn, angry blogs on social media. And I don't know about you, but, but if you're anything like me, you need a little bit of strategy and discipline to, to, to set and keep your mind on the right track. So I'm just going to give you four really quick ideas to help you set your mind on things above. Number one is disciplined habit. Do things that intentionally focus you on things above. That might mean a, a regular reading, Bible reading program. It might mean scheduling timed prayer slots in your day. It might mean, mean carefully selecting podcasts or, or books or, or right now media series that take your mind again and again where you know it needs to go. I mean, we all know where it needs to go. We need to learn the discipline to make sure that we are Focusing it there, right? Here's the point. Without discipline, without habits, you drift. And we rarely drift in the right direction by accident. So number one is disciplined habits. Now remember these because I'm going to be quizzing you at the end. Number two I've called environment avoidance. Really simple, stay away from anything or anyone that you know is going to suck you into things below. Future shop again. Nothing wrong with future shop. It went bust, actually. All got taken over, so there is no future shop anymore. Jesus taught, Jesus taught this. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, be better to chop it off. I don't think that was meant literally or we would all be limbless. He's metaphorically saying, if it is a temptation, run. Just avoid it. Just don't go there. Hello, Google. Okay. If you know that it's... <laughs> am I? Oh, I've, I said hello, Google, and my phone's woken up. That's no help. Goodness me. It's not going according to plan. Okay, so if it's temptation, if it's in front of you and you can see it and you can see it coming, run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Here you go. If you know it's likely to draw you into things below, stay well away. Environment avoidance. Okay, number three on my list nearly there is reactionary replacement. If you find yourself in danger of being, of being sucked down that that rabbit hole, that blind alley, 
then have a plan that will automatically kick in that involves doing something counteractive. Does that make sense? Reactionary replacement. Here's a fantastic example. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Reactionary replacement, doing something counteractive. He said, pray for those who persecute you. In other words, when those, those ugly things rear their ugly heads, it's very tempting, it's, it's perhaps understandable to, to take it badly and to, to lash out and to feel depressed. But Jesus said, no, replace that curse with an instant blessing. He said, counteract that persecution with immediate prayer. He said, resist that anger and frustration with an opposing act of agape. Here's the clever part. That will have the side effect of if instantly, immediately shifting, transitioning your thoughts from things below, the curse, into things above, the blessing. And number four, I've called success by saturation. It is the famous verse, Philippians 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Train yourself in thanksgiving. Fix your eyes on the promises. Surround yourselves with healthy influences. See, the more you, the more you focus on the positives the more the negatives stand out. The more you practice and exercise grace, the more ugly that judgment and that disrespect and that outrage starts to look. The more familiar your mind becomes with the truth of Scripture, the more unpleasant and unpalatable those demonic lies become. The more you set your mind on things above, the more easily you'll recognize and disqualify things below. Okay, i wrap this up just by, by popping it back into Paul's uh, Colossians 3 context. That's imperative number one. Imperative number two, verse five, is put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Imperative number three, verse eight, but now you must rid yourselves of all things, such things as these. And the question, I guess, then becomes, how do you do that? And Paul's message in verses 1 and 2 is, is that all rises and falls on where you set your thoughts and your mind. How, how do you put it to death? The answer is you starve it. How do you put the fire out? The answer, give it absolutely no oxygen at all. How do you... How do you rid yourself? Well, if you want to be pure, set your mind and reject all impure thought. If you don't want to let anger in, Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust on you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If you want to steer clear of, of that list, malice and rage and all that stuff in verse 8, 
and choose to walk in love by taking control of where you let your thoughts go. And then verse 9 says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Remember that Jack uh, Hayford quote right at the beginning. In chapters 1 and 2, our new identity is revealed. In chapters 3 and 4, we learn how to live consistent with that new identity. So part one of that is, is the taking off of the sarkikos, the carnality. And part two, which we're going to look at next time, is the putting on of the new man, the, the, the pneumaticos. Verse 12, therefore, as God's, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And the good news is that is where we are heading next week. Okay. How to respond to this. Perhaps the worship team would like to make their way to the front, please, so we can transition smoothly. Okay, three, as usual, three questions, three challenge questions for you that, that I would suggest that you take to the Lord this morning out of this material. Question number one is, how disciplined are you in your thought life? And I suspect if you're anything like me, the answer is good days. Maybe some not quite so good. But, but in the light of, of today's message, what step could you take to help set your mind more consistently and effectively on things above? Again, I've given you a list of ideas, but what I'm after at this point is for you to ask the Lord, okay, there, there are lots of points there. What one thing, Lord, could I do that would effectively help me to set my mind on things above and stop me from getting sucked down into things below. So number one is how disciplined are you in your thought life? Something to take to the Lord. Number two is what thoughts from below tend to get you? What is the Lord saying today that you could and should do about that? And then challenge number three is what on that list of things above? Remember my list of 10 things above? If you filled them in on your sheet, you got them there. If not, you can go on the website, look for Connect Group discussion, and you'll find them all filled in there. What on that list of things above is the Lord leading you to prioritize, to set your mind on today? Is it the character of God? Is it, is it the promises of God? Is it the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the teachings of Jesus? What is it? I'd encourage you to ask the Lord that question. Okay, so that's the end. That's the end of the word. What we're going to do now is um, we're going to have just a response time, pushing a little bit short on time. So, so we're going to sing. I'm going to give you those three challenges to take to the Lord. As always, the way we set things up here is if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, we have a prayer ministry team who'd be delighted and honored to pray. They'll be over this side here 
uh, with a lanyard around the next. They'd be delighted to pray for you about anything pertaining to this message or anything else, really. Feel free to come and stand next to them and they'll pray over you. And if there's anything in here that, that's particularly stirred or challenged you and you want to, to do business with God on your own, don't necessarily want someone to pray for you per se. They just want to come and stand on this side over here and then you can pray those big, bold prayers, invite God in. You can re-surrender. I think we've sung that already. Um, and then you can we'll just spend about five, ten minutes just allowing this message to settle in. You know, it's not so much about what is said. It's more about what we do about it. There's one thing for it to go into our ears. We know this stuff, this theory. I, I've told you nothing new here. How do we get it from our head down into our heart? How does it start becoming head knowledge and start becoming revelation and start to be engrafted in the way we think and the way we live 